Book of Ephesians. We are in chapter 3. But before we get there, um, have any of you guys have ever felt guilty for not praying enough? Or have you guys ever felt like whenever you did pray, you didn't know what to say? Anybody in here? Just me? Okay, good. Not just me. All right. So my question is, like, what is the smallest prayer that you have ever prayed? Jesus, thank you for this prayer. Okay, that's small in length. Like, um, I was asking Brooklyn this earlier, and she's like, there's no small prayers. Um, all prayers are important to, to Jesus. And I was like, yes, you're right. Um, but I'm thinking of, like, small, insignificant prayers that aren't, like, world-changing. Like, give me some examples of some of those. Help me pass this test. Help me, pass this test. Help me sleep. That's, that's important. Rest is important. Cooper. The what? Miss, oh, this burger? Nice. Okay, we got it, Gavin. Make make Caden go away. And look, he's right in front of you. Even at church, he's by you. Kids at school? Cool, cool, cool. I know one prayer that I would pray, um, and it was a small and pretty insignificant prayer, but it made me so mad and it even made me doubt the existence of God. Um, we would be playing football, and at that time, I hurt my knee, so I was on the film team. Um, but I would be like, praying, like, God, let us win this game. Like, God, let us win this game. We need to make it to playoffs, and then we made it to playoffs. Like, God, let us win this playoff game. Let us go to state. And every time I prayed that prayer and we did not win, I couldn't tell you how mad I was for the rest of the night. I was like, really, God? Like, I have faith. I have been praying. I have been reading my Bible, and you did not hear me. And I guess someone on the other side was just praying harder or something. I don't know how that works. Um, But prayer, prayer has no limits. That is the title of this message is no limits because there is no limits in prayer. And so we are at the the last part of chapter 3 of Ephesians. And Ephesians, just like most of Paul's letters, they are actually divided up into two different sections. And so we're at the last part of the first section. So the first section, it's all about theology. It's all about doctrine. It's all about who Jesus is and what Jesus did for us. It's a little bunch of like knowledge. It's a bunch of, of learning of who he is. Like we're chosen in him. What does that mean? What does it mean that Jesus died for us, that we are dead in our life? The next half of Ephesians, so we're starting next week, Actually, we're not starting the next week. We're going to be at Candy Corn Carnival. The next half that we're starting the week after that is all going to be about practical stuff. Like, here's everything you know about God, and now here's what you do with it. Like, this is how you're going to treat your parents. This is how you're going to treat your friends. This is how you're going to, to worship. This is how you're going to treat your spouse whenever you get married. That's what the next half of Ephesians is about. It's like, what do we actually do with what we're learning? But before we get there, this is the last part of, of doctrine. Um, so Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14, if you have your Bibles, you can pull those out. If you um, don't, then I guess look at the screen. I'll put them on the screen for you. Verse 14, it says, for this reason I kneel before the Father. Uh, this is Paul praying for us again. From whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I pray that he may grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit. And that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width, height and depth of God's love, and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So the first thing that we see in this is that prayer was a normal part of Paul's life. Paul, this is the second time that Paul writes a prayer out for us. But 
that tells us that prayer, it wasn't just something that Paul did whenever he wanted to, but prayer was a very normal part of his life. It's not like if you pray, it was like when you pray. So Paul was like, here's what I'm doing. I'm praying for you because this is what I do all the time. But it's also important to read this prayer in its context in light of everything that Paul has said so far. So this is not summarizing, but this is built off of everything that Paul has said in chapter 1 and chapter 2, especially the main ideas uh, in the passage that God is near to us. That's what he talked about in Ephesians 2, 3, that now we are near to God and why that's important. But also the fact that we have peace with God and also the fact that we now have access to the Father in one spirit. Those are all important for this prayer that Paul is praying, that we can be near to God that we can have access to him, that God can now live inside of us. And because of that, because we're near to God, and because we have peace with God, and because we have access to the Father, Paul can pray to God for the church of Ephesus. And he can give us an example of how to pray and what to pray for. So here's the two things that I see in here, the two important things that Paul prayed for. The first thing that Paul prayed for was that we would be, that the Ephesians would be strengthened with power. So this is actually pretty close to that first prayer that Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15 through 23. Uh, Paul prayed that in that prayer that we would gain an awareness of God's power. Basically, he prayed in, in Ephesians 1 that we would just become aware of that there's a God and he is powerful, that we would just know how powerful he is. But in this prayer, he goes deeper than that. In verse 16, he says, I pray that he may grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit. So this is a step further. Not just that we can know about it, but that we can be transformed by it. The true strength and power come from God and God alone. And, and get this, this comes from the riches of his glory. When I imagine that, I, I don't imagine that we get the, everything that God has. Like every time we ask God for strength or power, God's just mustering it up to give everything he has to us. That's not the idea that he's given us here. The idea is that everything is coming from the overflow. Like God is so powerful. God is so glorious. God has everything that we need. So everything that we need and more than we could ever imagine just comes from the overflow of what God has. He doesn't even have to tap into the deepest parts of his resource. It just comes from the riches of his glory. So think about everything that we could ever need, anything that we could ever imagine. It just barely comes from the top of everything that God has it comes from strength and power. And this isn't a physical strength, but this is a strength and power for your inner being. Like, of course, God can give us physical strength. God can, like, he made Samson strong in the Old Testament. But God can make us whenever we're tired and whenever we're run down. He can give us physical strength. Like, he can do that. But this is a, talking about an inner strength. A strength for your inner being, it says. So this is strength for your spirit. This is strength for your soul, and this is strength for your mind so that you can be able to resist the plans of the devil that he has whenever he wants to destroy you. Uh, this is strength for your mind to be able to see Christ more and also to have the power to become more like him. This is the strength for your inner person so that you can be strong on the inside. A second prayer that Paul prayed that is really significant in this is that Jesus may live and rule in our hearts. So in the first prayer that he prayed in Ephesians 1, Paul prayed that our hearts may be enlightened, 
that we'd be able to see Jesus and begin to understand him in his way. But in this prayer, Paul goes even further than just being able to see Jesus. But in verse 17, he says that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. Paul is praying not just that we can know more about Jesus, not just so that we can see Jesus more, or so that we can become a Christian more, but he's saying that Christ can dwell inside of our life. Jesus doesn't have to be somebody that we learn about. He doesn't just have to be somebody that we sing about, not somebody that we celebrate for Christmas or celebrate for Easter, but Jesus can be somebody that lives inside of you and transforms you from the inside out. Before any of us have ever came to Jesus, we were broken and we were darkened and we are far away from God. But now we have access to God through Jesus and now Jesus can actually live inside of us and that is very significant. The prayer continues in verse 17 or continuing in 17. He says, I pray that you being rooted and firmly established in love may be able to comprehend with all of the saints what is the length and width, height and depth of God's love, and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with the fullness of God. The first part of this prayer actually has some argument on how it's translated. And in the CSB, it assumes, um, by reading this, it assumes that you are already being rooted and established um, in love. Like if you are in Christ, then you are rooted, that you are established in love. But in other translations, it translates it as another prayer request. It says, I'm praying that you may be able to comprehend. I'm praying that, that you may be more rooted, that you may be more established in love. And so whenever you come across different things that Bibles translate differently, you should ask, like, which one's right? Like, is, are we already rooted and established in love? Or should we pray that we can become rooted, so that we can become established? I think the answer is both. And the reason I think that is because we are living um, in the kingdom of God is already but not yet. Whenever we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we are saved, we are forgiven, we are made new, and we are a new creation. Those are done deal. Those are facts that have already happened to us whenever we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. But at the same time, while those things are true, at the same time, sin is still present in our lives, and we still have a battle going on. Like just because we said yes to Jesus, just because we raised our hand, just because we have been made new, we've been transformed, that doesn't mean the battle has stopped. It doesn't mean that we're still tempted to not be rooted and established. It doesn't mean we're not tempted to do the things that we used to. So at the same time, we are currently rooted and firmly established in love, which is a present reality. Like That is a fact. We are rooted in God's love. But we also have to strive every day to grow our roots deeper in a relationship with God and the love that he has for us. So it's those two things. Yes, you are accepted, Jesus, so you are rooted. You are secure in your relationship with him. But we should still strive every day to grow our roots down deeper in our relationship with God. And then Paul prays that we may be able to comprehend what is the length and width and depth of God's love. That's what the CSB says. Um, so this is kind of mind-blowing uh, when I was doing my research. But God's love it actually defies or transcends reality. Because whenever we measure things, we measure things with three dimensions. Like, have you guys ever heard three-dimensional, 3D? 
Like if you know the length and width and height of an object, then you know a lot about an object. Um, like I don't even know all the science stuff that you can know, but you can know the volume of an object, the mass. Okay, that's a good science word. Um, but if you know three dimensions, then you know a lot about an object. But what Paul here is describing has four dimensions. It's four-dimensional. Not only does it have length, width, and height, but Paul also adds depth to it, which is um, the opposite of height. So not only can you measure the length or the height or the width, we can also measure the depth of it. And so that's kind of confusing. Whenever you're reading it, like Paul, like, we only need three of those. Why are you giving us four different measurements? That doesn't make sense. But what it gets even more confusing, it was whenever you read the Greek, it actually doesn't describe what Paul is talking about. Like it just stops right there. Um, in the CSB, again, it, it already adds in, it assumes what Paul's talking about um, in God's love. But in the Greek, of God's love is not actually there. It just leaves it off for us to assume what Paul's talking about. Like another translation, the ESV, it says, that I pray that you may have the strength to comprehend with all of the saints what is the breadth and li- length and height and depth. And it just stops right there. And you're like, Paul, what are you talking about? Like, what are we measuring? What are we talking about? And so what, are we, what I think Paul's talking about there is not just about God's love. What Paul is really praying here is that we would have a better awareness of God's power that is available to us. That we would understand God's power. And it, um, that's because Paul talks about power a lot in this section, but also in the sections above. Um, in, in all of chapter 2 and 1 is God's power and love. So in other words, Paul wants us to know that God is in complete control. That he has power. He has all the power of the universe at his disposal. And he loves us completely. He wants us to know just what the length and width and height and depth of God's power and to know Christ's love. So Jesus and God, they have the power of the entire universe, and he can use that for us. But at the same time, God loves us completely. So with that, we can have peace and confidence in God because he has the ability to carry out his plans of redemption. God doesn't only have love for us, but he has the power and the ability to actually do what he says he's going to do. So that means if God says that he's going to save us, if God says that his sacrifice counts for us, if God says that if you trust in me, you'll live with me in paradise, we can believe and trust that that is true because he has the power and the ability to do it. There's nothing that is impossible with God, not even saving us. Nothing can or will stop God from loving you. Your past, whenever you say yes to Jesus, your past doesn't matter anymore. What the devil whispers in your ear about what you've done to make you feel guilty or to make you feel shame, that doesn't matter anymore. What matters is your relationship with God because he has the power and the ability to forgive you of those things and to forget those things and to bring you into that loving relationship. It's so much more than just that God loves us because he has the power and the ability to love us. They work hand in hand. He is in control and he loves you. Those are the most important things that we can believe about God. That he has the ability and the power and he has the love for us. And then Paul talks about how we can be filled with the fullness of God. 
which I don't even have time to go into what that means. The only other time that's written in the New Testament is describing Jesus. In Colossians chapter 2, it says that Jesus was filled with the fullness of deity, which that's, that in itself is mind-boggling. But then Paul says that we may be filled with the fullness of God, which that is only possible because Jesus is living inside of us. So finally, Paul, he ends this chapter with a, um, a mind-blowing uh, praise and worship of God. Uh, so in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, verse 21, this is how Paul finishes this section. It says, Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we can ask or think according to the power that works in us. To him be the glory in the church, in Christ Jesus, to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. This is a verse that you all would probably want to highlight or underline or write down or memorize or take a picture of because God is able. God is able. It's talking even more about God's power. God can do more than we can ever ask him in prayer. If we ask God in prayer for something, God can do more than that. But Paul doesn't stop there. He goes further. He says, God can do anything that you ask. But he can also do even way more than you can even imagine. So anything that we can ever think about, God can do. Anything we can ask him, but more than we could possibly imagine, God is able to do those things. Like that should make our minds just kind of melt a little bit because I can't even imagine what that means. Like do you, anybody else um, have like strange imaginations? Like you can just imagine crazy things. God is saying that even God can do even more than we can imagine, let alone what we can ask him. God is able. That is how big and how powerful God is, that our minds can't even imagine all that God can do. And honestly, that's the way it should be. Like, if we could understand God, if we could understand how God works, if we could understand how God created the universe, if we could understand how he holds it all together, and how he can hear billions of people praying at the same time, if we could understand how God is outside of time, but he's in time, and how that doesn't make sense, if we could understand that, then that would mean that we were smarter than God, and that would mean that we were God. So the fact that we can't understand God should give us assurance that God is God and we're not. And that is the way it should be because none of us would ever be good as, as being God. But what Paul is trying to do here, he's trying to get us to retrain or to refocus our mind on how powerful God is. Nothing is impossible with him. God's power is infinite in every way that you measure. You can measure the length, the width, the height, or the depth. God's power is bigger than any way you could ever imagine. So that means our prayers are also infinite. So what are you praying for? Is that something small? Is it something big? We have an unlimited source of infinite power in a loving relationship with Jesus. Nothing is impossible. Whenever we ask God and we believe and we act in faith, God is powerful. God is loving. So this should encourage us to pray, but what should we pray for? Paul, whenever we follow God's or Paul's example, the first thing that we should pray for whenever we're praying is we should pray for God's power. We should pray that God will expand our awareness of his ability uh, to actually help us whenever we need help. 
Whenever we feel like we're down, whenever we feel like we're lonely, whenever we feel like we need help in any situation, we should ask God, God, help us to understand that you can actually help us here in the situation. We should pray that our awareness of God's power would grow because this knowledge of God's power is the foundation to our Christian life. As Christians, we have to believe that God is powerful. We have to believe that God is able. We have to believe that because there is a very real spiritual enemy and his goal is to kill, steal, and to destroy anything that is God's, and that includes us. Whenever we believe in Jesus, the enemy's goal is to steal, steal joy, to steal happiness, to steal peace, to steal inner security, to steal things from our life. And his goal is to kill you, to kill your spiritual life and to destroy. That's the enemy's goal and his, uh, the way he does that is lies. But so important to believe how powerful God is because that is how we rely on God's power and not ours. So important to rely on God's power. Because God, think about the relationship between God and the devil. We don't stand a chance with the enemy by ourselves. Like in and of ourselves, we don't stand a chance to the schemes that he has. He's been doing this way longer than we've been alive. He's been doing this since the day one. But think about the relationship between God and the enemy. God is the creator, and the devil is a created being, which automatically means that he is lower, that he has no ability. So we should rely on God's power and not ours, because by ourselves, we are weak and we are vulnerable. Whenever we don't rely on Jesus, we are weak and we are vulnerable. On our own, we are still dominated by the power of sin and the power of the devil, but we know that God rescued us from that life. That whenever we were by ourselves, most of that we were dead in our sin. There's a whole argument of, uh, of Ephesians chapter 2. We were dead, but God made us alive by his grace and his mercy. So God, he, he rescued us from that life that was dominated by sin and by the devil. But we are still weak and we are still vulnerable when we stop relying on God. Just because we are firm or we are rooted and firmly established doesn't mean that we will always stay that way. We desperately need to rely on God's power to overcome the flesh and the devil in our lives. We need God's power, and that comes through prayer, and that comes through relationship with God. The second thing that we need to pray for, pray for God's power. second thing is we need to pray for God's love, that God will give us an awareness of his love, that God will let his love shine through us and be so in us that it comes out of us. Because God is not just infinitely powerful, but God is also infinitely loving. Those two things are true, that God is powerful and he's infinitely loving. Because we know this because before God created the heavens and earth, he had us in mind and he chose to love us. And he, he loved us and he chose us before he even created the world. That's what this whole series is based on. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, that we are chosen before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him in love. Before God created anything, he had us in mind, and he already loved us, and he already chose us before we did that. He knew that we were going to mess up. Even while we were unlovable by the world's standards, even while we were broken, even while we were darkened in the way that we saw God, even though we were dead in our sins, God showed us his unbelievable love by saving us and then making us alive in him. And that came at a great cost for God. It wasn't easy for God to demonstrate this love because Jesus had to come and become one of us and die on the cross in our place. 
but he did so willingly and he did so gladly because he knew the outcome was that we would be whole again with him. And honestly, whenever we think about the perfect love of God, whenever we think about the infinite love of God, that is impossible for us to actually grasp what that means. That's because we've never actually seen that happen before. In our life, like our parents, our friends, the people on TV, no, there's nobody that we know that has demonstrated perfect love for us, that has, that has loved us without fault, that has loved us perfectly. Every single one of us have sin. Every single one of us are, are, still have selfishness inside of us. So none of us have seen perfect love. That's why it is impossible for us to actually grasp the love that God has for us, that he loved us even before he created us. That doesn't make sense. But he showed us his unselfish love by dying for us even while we were sinners. You guys have heard me say that a million times. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. I hope you guys have it memorized by now. But that Jesus loved, or God showed us his love, that Jesus died for us even while we were sinners. While we were far off, while we were still doing our own thing, while we didn't even believe in God, God loved us enough that he says, I'm going to die in their place so that whenever they realize my love, they can come and they can surrender to me and they can come and find life in me. It, it, that kind of love is unbelievable and it's unmatched and it's something that we don't see in our world today. And that kind of love of God is so much more than just a, an emotional response that comes from God. God is not just sitting in heaven and he feels like ooey gooey about us, like, oh, I just love them so much. Like, oh, this is, like, it's not just an emotion that God feels for us, but this is an action that God demonstrated for us by loving us and choosing us and redeeming us and sacrificing himself for us and purifying us and bringing us back to God and preparing us for an eternity with him. This is what Ephesians is all about. It's God demonstrating his love. He shows us a time and time again, over and over again, not just that he feels this way about us, but he is going to do something about it to show us his love for us. The band will go ahead and come back. Listen, this is so important. Listen here. This is so important to understand because only whenever we understand the kind of love that God has for us, and I know that doesn't make sense. I just said that we can't completely understand. But it's only whenever we get to that point to where I just can't believe the love that God has for us. It's so important to get to that point because whenever we get to that point where we're just overwhelmed by the love that God has for us, that we will have a sense of inner security and inner peace. And that is what we're all looking for. We can only get that inner security and that inner peace when we come to the point where we just can't believe the fact that God loved us so much. Knowing this love provides a groundedness for our lives. It means that we can be steady. It means that we don't have to be tossed in, uh, tossed in the waves. It means that we don't have to be really high in emotions one day and really low in the emotions the next day. It means that we can be steady. Whenever we understand the love that God has for us, it can lift us from depression. It can flood us with peace. And it enables us to worship God with true joy, not just happiness. But we can worship God with true joy whenever we understand his love. Because in spite of our weakness, in spite of our sinfulness, in spite of how wounded we are, we can move forward and we can serve God with passion because of this great love that he has for us. 
And this kind of love, here's how it tied together his power. This kind of love, it's held together by God's power. God didn't say, I'm going to love them and I'm going to show them. It's held together by how powerful God is. God's power gives us assurance that everything that he planned will come to completion. There is nothing that can keep God from doing what he said he was going to do. If God said that he chose you, then you can believe he chose you. If God said that he loved you, you can believe that he loves you. If God says that your sins can be forgiven, that you can be made new, then you can believe that your sins are forgiven and that you can be made new. There is no form of evil, whether it be a natural disaster or a war or a disease or a demonic attack or a betrayal from your closest friend that can prevent God from fulfilling his purpose in your lives. And this is what I have to tell myself every morning. Naturally, I struggle with anxiety. I struggle with having everything to go exactly how I planned. I like things to be under my control. Like if I plan something, I want it to happen that way. I don't want a lot of hiccups in the road. I like to make my own decisions. And honestly, this leads to a lot of worry and fear and anxiety for me. And that's not healthy for me, and it's not healthy for my relationship with God of me always having to be in control of making sure everything is going to be perfect. So whenever I understood that, that this is not healthy for me anymore, this is not healthy for my relationship with God anymore, I wake up and I tell myself every morning in my daily declarations that if God is good, like if God is good, if he truly loves me, and he really is good, and if God is in control, if God really is powerful, if everything really is under his control, if those two things are true, then I can walk in joy and peace today. I can trust God today. Because if everything's under his control, if he really is all powerful, then he can control anything. And if God really does love me, if he really, if he really is good, then I can know that everything that he's going to do, everything he's going to allow to happen is going to be for my good. And it doesn't matter what's going to throw at me. It doesn't matter how plans are going to go. It doesn't matter what's going to happen. I can still have peace because I know that God loves me and that everything is going to work for my good. This is what I tell myself every morning. That's the only way I find security. It's the only way I find peace in a world that is just falling apart. I can rest assured that everything will work for my good. And so I want you guys to make that decision for yourself tonight. Stop trusting in yourself. Stop trying to do it on our own. You're not a good savior for your life. You're not a good God for your life. So stop trying to do it by yourself. Give it all to God. Surrender it all to God and allow him to transform you from the inside out. Allow him to show how much he loves you. Allow him to show how powerful he is in your life. Because God, he wants to forgive you. But some of us are holding on to that. He wants you to have a fresh start. God wants you to be made new. He doesn't want you to live broken. He doesn't want you to live lonely. He doesn't want you to live depressed. He doesn't want you to live in your sin. He wants you to be made new. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you've never given your life to Jesus before, but maybe, but maybe you want to. If you've never